0: When I first moved to the States uh, after being in the army for two years, I was really looking for ways to learn as much as possible as I could in a short amount of time. And so that really meant just saying yes to a lot of things. I know I mentioned all the fashion internships that I did, but I also did an internship at the district attorney in New York City, because for a moment I I, I thought that I maybe wanted to go to law school. And so the way for me to find out was to go and intern at the district attorney's office on top of school, on top of interning at Moda Operandi. And so, I think as that that went along, I, I kind of got used to that lifestyle, which meant doing a bunch of different things at once. And, um, and then as I was getting out of grad school, I realized um, there was so much more that I wanted to do. So I started a podcast for women in innovation. I stepped into the global marketing role, and then I got the opportunity to come teach uh, to be a, an associate faculty member at Columbia University. So I did that. And then I think the other the other things that being involved in the non nonprofit space taught me was how much more meaningful life is when you are kind of sharing it with other people and giving back in the process. So specifically in the in the space of gender and gender equality. I felt like as, as a young woman, I never saw myself in technology. And I think that was because society doesn't really you know, always bring the women in tech at the forefront. We, I also think I held myself back in other ways. And so um, stepping into that space now that I'm in tech and, I, and I'm a product manager, it was really important for me to get involved with all of those.
1: Welcome to the very first episode of Season 2 for 6 to 8, a podcast about people's passions, side hustles, and interests outside their 9 to 5 work lives and the stories in between. I am your host, Han Ling. On today's show, hear about Zoya. A product manager at Citibank during her nine to five shares about her multi-hyphenate pursuits, ranging from podcasting for women in innovation, teaching at Columbia University, to starting her own nonprofit foundation during her six to eight. Last day of class for my senior year, I was super excited to go to my biology class for two reasons. First, I was so ready to be done with that class and just never have to take a biology class ever again if I would like to. And secondly, our teacher had a long-lasting tradition of doing superlative, so I was super curious about everybody else superlative and as well as what she would do for mine. So finally, there my term goes. My teacher said my name in a high pitch, Hong Ling, and most likely to be doing four things at once. And everybody laughed. Well. Surprise, surprise. I know I clearly see why she picked that for me because I was always so ready to be done with the class during all of the senior year. But anyway, I can definitely think back to that time and really think about our guest today, Zoya, because she is surely a multi-hyphenated person pursued for six two years during her time outside work and she truly deserves that title. be doing so many different things outside work Well, Zoya lives in an eternal state of intellectual curiosity driven by her desire to create impact and put a zing in the universe During her day, Zoya is working at Citibank as the VP in Product Management on Google Pay and Citiplex Outside her 9 to 5 work, Zoya is truly a multi-hyphenated, being an educator, podcaster, mentor, and founder of her own nonprofit. As the global marketing lead at the nonprofit Wing Women Innovation, Zoya launched, produced, and edited the podcast Wing Wing Women in Innovation that has thousands of downloads and features senior women in the workspace. And moreover, Zoya recently launched her own nonprofit foundation, Cosacop foundation aimed to change the state of creative industries and to be made out of people who want to create culturally significant work that impacts us all. So tune in to hear about Zoya's 6 to 8 journey and the stories in between all her multi-hyphenated pursuits and now let's dive to the very
0: beginning of her life. I had quite a unique childhood. Um, I would consider myself a third culture kid. Uh, If you have had guests or listeners that um, have gone to international schools, it's basically kids who don't entirely know where home is. And that's for me because my parents were Russian immigrants. I was born in Israel. I'm first generation Israeli. And then between ages one to eight, I lived in Moscow. Um, I speak Russian at home. And then when I was eight, my mom and my brother and I actually moved back to Israel. And when we moved back to Israel, um, I went to an American international school, which is how I speak English. And um, although I am natively Israeli culturally, I was raised Russian, I went to the American school, so I spoke English all day. And so kind of my background was very international. We did a lot of traveling. My dad was an actor and a director, which I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit, but um, so he traveled all around the world and took me and my brother and my mom with him. So I really really grew up uh, as an international person and an international citizen. Um, When I was in high school in the ninth grade I actually had an amazing opportunity to go to live in Montreal, Canada, for four or five months for um, an, an exchange semester, so that was something that I asked my mom if I could do and you know I literally just packed my life in a suitcase and moved halfway across the world to Canada. Um, and so that was, you know, that was the majority of, of my childhood. And then, um, like most Israelis, I enlisted in the Israeli army at age 18. I was chief of staff in special operations in the Israeli intelligence, and then moved out to the States when I was going on 21 uh, to do my undergrad uh, at Parsons School of Design and my master's at Columbia, and spent the last few years working working here. So I can, I can dive more into any of those things, but definitely a, a really well traveled, um, amazing childhood that I, that I owe all to my family and, and my mom, especially.
1: Wow. That's so quite amazing. And even just for you growing up under um, having the Russian culture and growing up in Israel and going mm-hmm. to American school and your dad being this amazing art artist and actor so were you drawn to would you say like more arts growing up or how what were you drawn to
0: it's really funny that you ask that because um my day job today i work in financial services but when i was uh, growing up I actually loved all things theater. I went to musical theater camp since I was like between ages 10 and 16. Uh, Every year, my mom would send me up to New York, uh, upstate New York, long Lake camp for the arts. I would go for two sessions at a time for six weeks. Um, I did high school plays, middle school plays. and, And so I was very artistic. I also played the trumpet. I played the ukulele. I was in the band. So I was really the definition of like, your arts kid, I guess. Um, But I, weirdly enough, I never saw it as a career path for myself because I think having a dad who was, you know, professional about his craft and his craft meant the entire world to him. I felt like if I was going to do it, I was only going to do it. If, if that's really what got me excited, waking up in the morning, And I didn't feel that way, you know, to me, it was just an amazing outlet. Like, you know, to this day, I don't play the trumpet anymore, but I do play the ukulele. And it's just something I love doing sometimes on the weekends, just like to play songs that I love or to, if I'm hanging out with my friends, like to me, it's, it's not about being talented or, you know killing it at something. It's more about just that outlet. So, um, it's really interesting that you asked that. I think, um, the arts have always been a really big part of, of who I am, but not in a way that translated into my career. But when I was finishing up the army, I was really between, um, going to school for political science and journalism. That's what I initially wanted to do. And then um, I went to visit one of my friends, Claudia, who lived in Milan, Italy, who was studying at Marangoni, which is like a a fashion school in Italy. And I think that's when I realized that you can combine your passions with your career because her major was fashion business. So I, I was like, wow, I didn't know you could actually have a career in fashion unless you were a designer. So that was that was incredible for me and was one of the reasons I went to Parsons School of Design and studied strategic design and business management.
1: Wow. Yeah, that is so interesting. And I relate to that a lot. And even recently, really been thinking about how the passions and whether you really can incorporate as a part of your nine to five. And mm-hmm. well, maybe pursuing it six to eight for also other times and I'm so curious to hear about as you share so your friend kind of inspired you and along that time you started thinking going to Parsons School of Design and could you share a little bit about how was that like and how it leads you to um, pursue a master and I know it was more fashion but how did it all start back to back to banking
0: now Yeah, it's, it's really really funny um, I mean I grew up with a mom that was the most, you know, creative person ever. And like I said, my dad was the one who was a director and an actor, but my mom was a film and theater producer. And so I always grew up in this home where, you know, reading books, watching movies, TV shows, listening to music, like that was a part of who you were and what made you unique and special and knowledgeable and intellectual and so um i really felt like i wanted to apply that to something that i was passionate about which to me was at the time fashion Um, to me clothes and luxury goods weren't just materialistic things they were a way to express yourself and uh you know and a really unique one, because like, if you think about a piece of art that's on your wall or a photograph, um, it just stays there. Whereas with fashion, you can really express who you are and um, visually represent who you want to be. And I found that really exciting. And so I wanted to work in fashion and, and really what I wanted to do in fashion was to innovate, you know, the, the retail game and 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 I was really excited about the fact that fashion companies were able to sell things for much higher price than their actual inherent value. And so I realized that that was because people emotionally connected to them. And so for me, I said, how can I really innovate that and scale that? Um, and when I got to Parsons, my degree was in strategic design and business management. So it actually wasn't fashion specific. It was all about like innovation and design management, but I minored in fashion um, communications. And so that's how I was able to get my foot in the door. I actually got my very first fashion intern at New York Fashion Week by LinkedIn messaging a lot of different people. And so for your listeners out there that maybe feel defeated as far as like, how can I get my foot in the door if I don't have the experience? I think, you know, I literally LinkedIn messaged probably a hundred people and one responded. And and that's how I got my internship at the New York Fashion Week, um, my first year at Parsons. And then off of that, I worked really hard and somebody there who became one of my best friends actually was like, you know, Lanvin, the luxury fashion company is looking for an intern, would you be interested? After Lanvin, I managed to get Givenchy and then Chanel and then Moda Operandi. And so that's kind of how my career had a snowball effect. But as I was working in fashion What I actually realized is a lot of the traditional fashion jobs, like fashion merchandising and buying and wholesale, um, they were really focused on running the operations of fashion, which is incredibly important, but that's not what I wanted to do. So I didn't feel like there was a place for me to innovate in fashion, and so I decided to switch over to digital marketing, because I felt like that's where the innovation was happening. And so um, I spent about a year and a half at a digital um, advertising agency called Mopcoy, which is primarily based in Europe, but has an incredible presence in the United States. Um, There, I got to work with a variety of brands. And um, then uh, that got me to my master's, because as I was working at and doing digital advertising for those large, um, really prominent Fortune 500 companies, I realized that what I really wanted to do was um, to re- either be in brand management or product management. And so um, I got into my master's uh, at Columbia. I spent the year there. A lot of it was done over Zoom because it fell during the times of the pandemic. I was really looking forward to, and I had some offers from innovation consultancies, which is what I wanted to do. But with COVID breaking out, a lot of those offers transparently fell through, uh, which caused me to get creative about where I was going to innovate and build products, and City was hiring thousands of people during the pandemic because they realized it was their opportunity to disrupt and really think about what the next uh, phase of banking and digital banking is. And so um, they ended up uh, extending me an offer to join the team to build out uh, Google's digital banking experience. And so I've been a product manager there for for about a year now. So yeah.
1: Wow. I think it is a really, just even by listening, it's very so exciting how it all unwrapped and how you navigated your way realizing oh like let me try this and whatever you're drawn to next so take us to your kind of your nine-to-five working as the product manager at city with google pay and cityplex how was the experience like for you linking back your design experience, digital marketing experience, and being this product manager from facing like teams, clients, and all of those?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, Hangling. I think uh, it's interesting because I think a guiding principle of my career, and you mentioned that, has always been one, being really in tune of what I like, what I don't like, what I want to learn next. And I think the second principle has always been where can I go next where I will learn? And so for me, you know, a lot of people were really surprised that I ended up at City. I, I think even I was a little surprised that I ended up at City. But City gave me the opportunity to learn a new job, which is product management. Um, City gave me the opportunity to learn a new industry, which was banking. And um, you know, working on this technical product, I had the opportunity to learn technology. I don't have a computer science background. I I didn't go to school for anything technical. Um, and so my strengths are design. Strategy, brand, and marketing, and so to me, um, you know, every day feels like a a new day to learn something. I I make a joke about it, but it's really what happened. My first week at my job, I was googling how does a bank make money because I never thought about it. You know, like I I knew about a little bit about investing and and you know basic principles of the economy, but at the end of the day, this was not my industry, and so. I think a lot of time for me is spent on just learning some of those gaps, whether it's like some of the regulations that are um, needed in banking and how you govern a banking product. But as far as my day job, um, I do sit at this very interesting intersection of working with Google almost like a client, but they're a partner, not really a client. Um, and so together we are solving the problems of how can we deliver an experience to millions of people hopefully that can you know really benefit from a digital banking product because as you know, COVID made um, you know physical presence of you know retail locations kind of like an interesting concept that maybe needs to be rethought. And so, um, you know, I work with tech teams, I work with Google, um, and I work with my partners on the retail banking side to figure out what is this best product that we can deliver for you know the client that's going to open a city account through the Google experience. And so. Um, like I said, big learning curve as far as learning the industry, but also um, the technology side, which I'm, I'm really grateful to have my brother who works as a software engineer. And so he's always kind of answering questions about like how things work and, and things like that. So it's it's been really, really great.
1: Wow. And just think, look back to a year ago when you just started, how far you have come through just not only starting off with a new industry that you have never been before about all those experience navigating those along the way
0: and yeah and and i think one other thing to add on that is like you know city is such an incredible company and they can hire you know the most proficient people in financial services because they're a 200 year old company. But I think, and this is not to give myself credit, but what I found really incredible was the fact that they were looking for diversity for whether it's hiring women or people of color, but mainly people who maybe don't have that experience, that traditional banking 101 experience. Because I think like any other company, they realize that Companies are no longer just companies; they're ultimately multifaceted things that we interact with. And so, um, I think what's been really great for me is getting to know some of those more traditional people in in financial services, but also seeing how Set City is on bringing in unique, new, and different talent. Because frankly, they they took a chance on me. I mean, I took a chance on them too, but um, definitely a really, really unique opportunity
1: yeah and that just really says a lot about now the evolving sphere that you know you could get the most um financial background people out there but it's what you bring to the table Zoya with all your experience and all the other people who might not have as traditional experience as those but there's so much diverse world experience and perspective to bring to this creative like strategic mm. process going forward. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly.
1: And so, along with still diving into your nine to five every day, so uh, you are also this multifaceted, amazing person outside work, with being part-time faculty at Columbia, being the global marketing lead at nonprofit Win Women Innovation, and now recently starting your foundation which we'll go into later but just very curious about take us to the time why like why where are those all first started and where did all those, the passions stem from
0: yeah you know i uh, even growing up in in elementary middle and high school i was always mm-hmm. really involved in in the communities and the opportunities that you know my educational environment offered me so I was in student council since between ages eight and 18 years old. I was president in middle school and I was like representative and VP and like every role you could have possibly done in student council. I did, because it was something I was really passionate about. Um, I was a chair in model United nations. And so I feel like, you know, it's, it's me being involved in a bunch of different things is not entirely new to me. Um, I've always I've always found different value and different joy out of doing different things. Um, and I feel like, uh, again, that, that, that's looked very different in different areas of my life. Like I remember in, um, in high school, my senior year, I told you I was like the theater kid growing up. Um, my high school teacher who became a volleyball coach was like, Zoya, you should join varsity volleyball. And, you know, I, I don't think I fit the stereotype of like, a volleyball athlete, but I practiced every day and I made the team. I mean, I benched every day, but at the end of the day, like, the value that it brought me was a way to challenge myself in a way that i didn't even know i was capable of um and also to learn something new and and experience something new so i think as far as how that's translated it into all of some of the things that you mentioned i mean i'm involved in a, in a bunch of different things and i think when i first moved to um the states uh, after being in the army for two years i was really looking for ways to learn as much as possible as i could in a short amount of time. And so that really meant just saying yes to a lot of things, like, you know, I know I mentioned all the fashion internships that I did, but I also did an internship at the district attorney in New York City, because for a moment, I I, I thought that I maybe wanted to go to law school. And so the way for me to find out was to go and intern at the district attorney's office on top of school, on top of interning at Moda Operandi. And so I think as that that went along, I I kind of got used to that lifestyle, which meant doing a bunch of different things at once. And so, um, the way that I first got involved, I think, in the nonprofit space was when I was uh, doing my master's at Columbia, and I was really trying to get into the the world of innovation. As I mentioned, that was the reason I went and pursued my master's. And so I uh, saw a recruitment to be a fellow at Win Women in Innovation, which is a global nonprofit that I'm a part of aiming to close the gender gap uh, for leadership in innovation roles. So innovation departments and Fortune 500 companies, innovation consultancies, and then the startup ecosystem. So. So, I joined that in addition to being, uh, you know, in grad school. And then a friend of mine had started this incredible blockchain um, startup, and so he asked me if I wanted to come on and lead strategy and marketing there. So I took that on. Um, And then as I was getting out of grad school, I realized um, there was so much more that I wanted to do. So I started a podcast for women in innovation. I stepped into the global marketing role. um, And then I got the opportunity to come teach uh, to be an associate faculty member at Columbia University. So I did that. As a result of that, a, a company called BrainStation approached me and asked me if I wanted to teach digital marketing and product management. So I took that on. Um, and then I think the other, the other things that being involved in the nonprofit uh, space taught me was how much more meaningful life is when you are kind of sharing it with other people and giving back in the process. So specifically in the, in the space of gender and gender equality, I felt like as, as a young woman, I never saw myself in technology. And I think that was because society doesn't really, you know, always bring the women in tech at the forefront. We see the Mark Zuckerbergs and this, you know, Jeff Bezos and, and all those guys, the Steve is of the world. And we're not really seeing too many of, of women who are leading this space. And so I also think I I pulled myself back. I held myself back in other ways. And so um, stepping into that space now that I'm in tech and, I, and I'm a product manager, it was really important for me to get involved with all of those things. So you know, that was obviously a mouthful, but, but um, all of those things always had a different purpose for me and a different reason to, to do them. And um, I think I don't really see myself slowing down anytime soon.
1: Yes, I think, well, what truly all those things that you shared, I, what really hit my heart is how it bonds community and this um, people support and uplift each other and sharing those knowledge and those stories and especially shout out to your podcast everyone go check out win 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 Win, winning innovation podcast like favorite in the world and just very curious laura being for you starting that podcast and having conversation with women in innovation across many different industries and just truly get to help conversation with them what are some things that you truly um like enjoy and or even going to that surprise now after doing it about that experience
0: yeah so you know it's 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 really interesting because it does relate to my nine to five or my my vision of my nine to five and my six to eight and that is you know, being in marketing and in brand, I always felt like I didn't have uh, kind of the capacity or the control to change the very essence of the thing that you are marketing or branding, which is kind of why I, I switched into product. And then sometimes uh being in product, I felt like we are not looking at the big picture enough or the communications with with kind of the consumer, because going back to my example with um with fashion, right? I feel like ultimately the marketing is the product in a lot of those companies. And so when I started my podcast, transparently, I did it because I was, you know, like everyone else last summer, really lost and, and had a challenging time. Like I had lost job offers and I didn't know where my career was going to go. I was just getting out of grad school. And so um, I wanted to talk to the women that were changing the world, the women that did succeed and and really try to figure out like what I could learn from them and then actually as I went along and seeing you know over 10,000 downloads in less than a year seeing listeners from 30 plus countries It actually taught me that the podcast could be the product that helped close the gender gap in innovation because it actually shared the voices of those women and raised and created a platform for them. And so basically, I think what I learned, my secret sauces or what I bring to the table is communications as a fundamental strategy behind what I do, but execution as my superpower. And so um, I think you know, I I really learned that about myself with creating and building out the podcast and coming up with a concept and then using communication as as kind of the vehicle um, to talk to these women and and get the word uh, from there. And so that really actually led me into my next phase of my six to eight, which is starting my own foundation, uh, the Kozakov Foundation, um, in the memory of my dad who passed away from lung cancer 10 years ago. And uh, as I mentioned, he was my inspiration behind a lot of things, and he was a director and an actor. And um you know i really felt like i wanted to create a product or a uh, a foundation that would enable people to pursue their passions because a lot of the times if your passion is like computer science or technology or finance, um, there's a a really good stigma around that, right? Like you can make a lot of money and it's respected and there are paths going forward. But if you want to be an artist or, you know, a director or screenwriter, those tend to have, you know, the stigma of the starving artist. And so I never wanted anybody to feel like they had to choose their career path based on you know, what's financially viable, because ultimately, if that's what we are choosing our careers based on, then the movies, the TV shows, the books that we read are all going to be basically created by the people that can afford to to take on those career paths. And so um, that's basically why I ended up starting the Kazakov Foundation, and, and I think doing the podcast and speaking to all those women and seeing the impact of that, um, I think showed me the importance of that.
1: That's truly so amazing how it come and those things interconnect and leading to you to start this very meaningful and personal and exciting new um, the foundation that um, into the. More in in the future to come. And so how was just starting this foundation like for you, the beginning phase, or hasn't been something you've been thinking a lot and just started to all come together?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I um so I'm definitely still at the beginning stages, but you know. It kind of came to me recently. I think a lot of the decisions, I'm a big planner, but a lot of the decisions that I make are kind of, I don't want to say impulsive. I don't want to say impulsive, but they are ultimately decisions that I make by saying, okay, I'm going to do this. And then I just go and do it and kind of figure it out along the way. Um, I was very lucky where one of my very good friends is the co-founder of Women in Innovation, and, and she started like four different nonprofits. And so she, when I briefly mentioned it to her, she sent me a message and she was like, wait, like, I know you want to start this. I want to start something too. Let's hold each other accountable. And I think that having a friend like that, that set up a a weekly meeting with me, we set goals for each other. We review each other's things. I think that that made being a founder of a nonprofit, a lot less intimidating and kind of feeling like this huge thing that you carry on your shoulders. Um, And so And so um, I I think that that's been something really unique. Um, I do think it's really different starting something of your own rather than coming into something that's even like quote unquote, a startup nonprofit. When I came into WIN, it was already around for uh, three years and already had like, they they had a board of directors. They had like, uh, they were incorporated, you know I'm sitting working with lawyers, like figuring out like tax structures and and other things, which are things that are completely new to me, but I think going back to our earlier conversation, you know it's something new that I get to learn it's it's very fulfilling to me because not only is it my own but I would otherwise not have the opportunity to learn some of these skills. So to me, it's really been incredible. It's still at the very early stages. We actually launched our first um, scholarship, that's $5,000. So if any of your listeners are considering studying um, direct, be- studying in an acting school or studying being a director, screenwriting, um, any of those kind of disciplines. uh, If you go to bold.org and type in Kozakoff Foundation, you're able to apply to the um, scholarship. Uh, The application deadline is August 15th. So that's the very first scholarship we're launching. But really, Hangling, it's just the beginning, and so I'm excited to develop it more and be able to make more impact, whether that's financially or by creating communities of people who want to be um, in this industry. So more more to come there.
1: That is so exciting! Yes, definitely. Anyone listening, check it out and share to the whole world. (laughs) (laughs) And one thing just really piqued my curiosity as you were sharing. Um, the fellowship was this is such a meaningful and important cause where you know in the culture for creative industry it doesn't the stigma that attached with that is very different and it takes a lot of time and our efforts and the culture to perceive and active changes as you're doing this meaningful thing. But how did you approach this big problem with the Fellowship Foundation that when you're thinking bridging either through a fellowship, scholarship and the community of um, the fellows, um, Could you share a little bit about how you navigate through that planning
0: stage? Yeah. You know, it's funny because, you know, I'm not an actor, I'm not a director, but I think if I learned something from my degree in strategic design and business management and from my work in the innovation industries is is really how to approach and solve very large, complex problems. I think the first thing I need to understand, and I would encourage anybody to understand is you aren't going to solve all aspects of this problem, right? Like I think there's multiple issues that are um, in, in that are involved with a lack of diversity uh, in kind of directing and acting and and things like that. There are also stories that aren't being told. There's also a question about the quality of the stories that we're telling if we're only kind of hiring people that come from you know higher uh, eco-social backgrounds and more more um, prevalent, I guess, uh, eco-social backgrounds, and so. To me, I said, like, where can I where can I make the most impact, and where is there kind of a turning point of the problem, right? So, like, even take me for example, right? Like, I had the opportunity to go to arts camp and do plays in my school and other things. Um, but ultimately, I think when it was time to apply to colleges, initially, my instinct was to go study journalism and political science because that, to me, felt more stable and safe and I remember my parents saying to me, you know, Zoya, like you can be whatever you want. You can study whatever you want. Just work really hard and it'll be okay. But I realized that that's, a privilege that I had. I had that privilege because my parents succeeded in the arts. So they didn't have that stigma around it. But I also realized that they were willing and able to afford sending me to a less traditional degree that wouldn't yield a $200,000 starting salary. And so I think for me, I said, how can I kind of scale the experience that I had, even though I didn't end up taking that path, how can I scale it to other people? So handing out scholarships uh, to make the decision, not a financially driven one, but a passion and a talent driven one, to me seemed like a very good first step. And then scaling that, right? Like right now we only have the $5,000 scholarship, but I'd like to hand out $55,000 scholarships or 150,000 scholarships. $50,000 scholarships. Um, I think the next step for me is thinking about all the stuff that happens before and after. When you apply to different arts majors, oftentimes you have to submit a portfolio or an audition tape. And so figuring out like, is that a deterrent to somebody because they can't afford to film a audition video or they don't have the money for art supplies to submit an arts portfolio. So I think that's kind of the next step. Like, How can we increase the number of, uh, you know, diverse populations that are able to apply by helping them kind of like the pre-application phase? Then the last phase I'm really considering is like, how do you get people to stay in school and stay in the industry? Because let's say they get the degree, right? Throughout their degree, they need to support themselves. And also they need to get a job when they get out of college, or they're going to have to do kind of a more traditional administrative job or or maybe even switch industries. So I think that next step is like connecting them to the Netflixes and the MGM studios of this world um, and really creating a pipeline for those companies that really claim to be passionate about diversity. Yeah,
1: I think this is such an exciting stage as, you know, it may come and the first important step is the one that is happening right now. So, Mm -hmm. and how do you see you and your six to eight, like the Cup Foundation in a month and in a year and five years from today?
0: (laughs) Um, it's so funny. So for those of you who don't listen to my podcast, which I'm assuming like everyone who's tuning in today, that's the question that I ask, uh, at the end of every episode of my uh, podcast. So very, very nice hangling. (laughs) Um, so, you know, in a month, um, I hope to have a lot of those fundamental things in place, whether that is, um, the brand of the foundation to have a really strong point of view as a foundation, to have the mission and vision really well articulated, Um, because of course I can talk to you about it all day, but I think the more I learn about the industry, the more I learn about the pain points, the more I I, I can tweak and articulate the need in a much better way, which I think is really important in a nonprofit initiative, but also in any commercial endeavor. Um, In a year from now, I really hope that uh, by this point the first scholarship would have already been handed out so I'm excited to see you know the impact that that makes for that person and to really get their feedback on what more they could need um, and how else we could be supporting them. I also hope that in a year we have you know the next scholarship, ready to go, hopefully with more than just a single $5,000 scholarship. Like I said, hopefully more more funds available there, or at least more students that are able to apply. Um, and then I think five years from now, I really see strong backing across those three stages, not just like the middle stage of you got into college, let's support you in, in getting you to enroll, but really the before, the during, the after. And I really see that as being supported by those studios that are looking to uh, find diverse talent, they should be heavily involved in building out that diverse pipeline. And so um, hopefully some big name partnerships that we can get there um, and, and support from the larger kind of acting and directing community. That's so
1: exciting. And I think to really wrap us up here, I wonder if you like to share any advice for any of those listening, either for them starting their 6 to 8 in causes or meanings that are very personal and meaningful for them or just other things.
0: Yeah, so I, I would say this, that ultimately you don't know which opportunity is going to be your golden ticket somewhere. Um, you know, I said yes to a lot of unpaid internships. I said yes to a lot of volunteer work. I said yes to internships that I wasn't sure about uh, when I started out in my career, Um, because quite frankly, I wanted to get the experience and I didn't know where they would lead me. And sometimes the most surprising internships led me to the big jobs or to the you know, to creating a network of people that would then support me for my next thing. So I think when you are earlier in your career, especially, and you have kind of less to lose and, and more to gain, um, definitely say yes to as many things as possible um, and, and, and really focus on the things that will teach you something new rather than like the shiny one internship that you think is going to change your life. I think as you progress in your career, it's almost the other way around. You need to start saying no to more things. And I think that that's something that I'm working on. Um, I think every time you say yes to something and as you progress, uh, you're saying no to something else. So that could be you know, spending time taking care of yourself or uh, investing into something else, or even just being there for your friends and your family. And so I think as you go on and have more of a focus on what's important to you and where you want to be, I think it's important to start saying no. And I think that transition can be definitely new and challenging. I know it has been for me. Um, But I think that Overall, regardless of where you are in your stage of your career, you always need to be checking in with yourself to allow those opportunities to enter into your life, um, but also to be able to assess whether they are still serving you and you're getting as much as you possibly could out of them. So that's kind of how I've been living my life recently. And I can say, any of the successes that I've had, uh, I attribute to saying yes to things and 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 really doing my best at them. And now as I progress in my career, I'm really learning to say no and seeing the benefits of that more focused direction um, really pay off in other ways too. Very important.
1: <laughs> and it was just amazing hearing about your journey and also all those things that you navigate throughout this exciting and along with the ups and downs journey. And those are all the questions I have, Zoya. Thank you for sharing. Are there anything that you would like to mention or question that
0: you should ask? Yeah, no, I wanted to say thank you so much, Hangling, for doing this. I think it's unbelievably impressive that you balance your school life. You're doing a million things on the side and really also taking the time to learn about other people. And I think um, anybody who's out there seeing the awesome work that Hangling is doing, I'd, I'd encourage you to talk to her and also maybe to try uh, try out some of the things that she's doing, because I'm personally really excited to see where you go with all of this. And thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to 6 to 8,
1: a podcast brought to you by Hong Ling. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And also we have a quick anonymous survey to share your feedback, which can be found on the podcast description. That would mean a lot and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening as always, and remember, there is so much more to life other than your 9 to 5. See you in our next episode!